Welcome to the Light Bears Institute podcast, where we seek to improve biblical literacy by discussing key storylines and themes in Scripture. Hey, this is Brett Arndt, the campus director at Light Bears Fayetteville, and I'm here with Doug Rains, who is the teaching pastor at Mosaic. Doug, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Great, good. Well, Doug uh, taught for us last night on numbers and Deuteronomy, and so we're, we're continuing our podcast series on Old Testament survey. And so uh, we covered Leviticus, and uh, and so Doug, talk to us a little bit about numbers. How would you break numbers down for us? Uh, how would you summarize that that book for for our listeners? Numbers is um, kind of a continuation of the story right after Exodus. If you think of Exodus telling the story and the narrative is going along, and then it kind of pauses, talks a lot about building the tabernacle and some other things. And then when the story picks up again, um, it actually begins with Numbers. And so Numbers is the continuation of the story of moving the people uh, really from Sinai to the Promised Land. Um, And so that's the purpose and the idea behind Numbers. It kind of breaks down, I think, in in, in three easy um, sections. You have where God kind of gives them directions on bringing order. Uh, If you think uh, think of this idea, you've got maybe as many as 2 million people who are suddenly a people group that have to govern themselves and you have to figure out how uh, how to manage things, how to move them through this desert and all of this. And so there's some just real practical things about even how to set up the camp, which, which tribes camped where and all of that. So there's this uh, setting up of the order in the first probably 10 chapters there. And then... Uh, there's a key event that, that happens and it moves moves into disorder. And uh, so for a few chapters there, it just kind of talks about what the disorder is like. And then it really ends with reordering, reorganizing, and uh, picking up the trip and heading back to the promised land. You, uh, you talked about this last night, uh, on Numbers 14 being an important chapter of the book. You, you called it a hinge in the book. Uh, could, could you talk a little more about the importance of that chapter? What, why, what, what kind of happens to make it a hinge? Yeah, the um, kind of go back to uh, again to the beginning of the of the piece of the story in Exodus, where the purpose of God delivering them out of Egypt was to take them to Canaan, to the Promised Land. And so they do the stop at Mount Sinai to get the law and some of these other things. But but Numbers is really, okay, we're going to move forward. We're going to get to the promised land. And so they do that. They get to a place just outside the borders of Canaan called Kadesh Barnea, or just Kadesh. And so they're paused there. They're getting ready to go in. And uh, Moses sends in 12 spies to just go and see the land, get a, get a lay of the land. You have to remember, none of these people had ever even seen Canaan before, so they didn't even know what they were going into. So those 12 spies go in, they, they walk through the land, they take a survey, they come back, uh, and they bring a report and say, man, it is everything that God said. It's flowing with milk and honey, uh, clusters of grapes that are just uh, enormous, uh, just a beautiful, green, lush place full of life. Um, but uh, it's also full of what they call giants. They said they're giants in the land. And uh, so 10 of the 12 spies came in and said, uh, we just can't take it. The people are too big. They're too strong. The city walls are too high. We're not equal to the task. Uh, but two of the spies happened to be Caleb uh, and Joshua uh, came back and said, yeah, all of that is true, but God's promised it to us. And so let's go in. 
And so um, the, the 10 spies gave the report. They, the people heard the report. They got discouraged. And so they decided to take a vote. And the, uh, the, the nation of Israel voted not to go into the promised land. And uh, <clears throat> that was a huge uh, moment in the history and in this movement of the story because it basically it, God says, you've chosen to reject me. You've chosen not to trust me. You've chosen not to believe me. And so as a result, it brought on the judgment of God. And, and ultimately for 40 years, uh, they were not allowed to go into the promised land. We call that often the 40 years of wilderness wanderings because they were just hanging out, uh, waiting for a generation of people to die off. Uh, God says, as a result of your lack of faith, uh, this generation will not go into the land. So everybody who was uh, 20 years old and up uh, at the time of uh, Kadesh Barnea wasn't allowed to go in. And so it took 40 years for that generation to die off and before they could go back in. Mm, yeah. Is there a uh, is there maybe another uh, chapter in, in numbers that, that you would uh, or section or an area that you would say, hey, as far as understanding the, the greater story, that this is an important uh, section or chapter in, in uh, the understanding of numbers for us? Um, yeah, I would say probably where it gets, the, the book of numbers gets its name from is uh, there's at the beginning of the book and at the end of the book, there is a census taken, accounting. So they get the numbers. And the census is taken uh, of the men who are 20 years old and up who could serve in the war, who could fight in a battle. And so if you look at the uh, the census in the beginning of the book, uh, they come up with uh, roughly 603,000 soldiers. When you look at the census at the end of the book, they come up with almost the same number. And so essentially, I think the, that the key point of that is that they spent 40 years going nowhere, even as a nation. They didn't grow. They didn't expand. They didn't uh, increase significantly. Uh, they they spent 40 years just marking time because of their lack of faith and obedience. That's good. You um, you gave us a couple of, of good lessons from numbers, uh, liked all of them, but, but wanted to focus on two of them. You, you mentioned that that disobedience has, has consequences as one lesson and that God never forsakes his people, even when his people forsake him. And so I wanted to flesh, flesh those out a little bit for, for those who are listening. So starting with that the lesson of disobedience has consequences. Where, where do we get that lesson uh, in, in Numbers? Um, God was so upset with uh, with the, with the Israelites for their uh, lack of faith and their disobedience and not going into the land that He just told Moses. He said, "You know what? I could wipe these people out and just start over with you." Uh, and Moses interceded and said, no, God, you know, for the sake of your reputation, for your history of mercy and grace, please forgive them. And God says, um, I will forgive them. I I have forgiven them, but they still can't go in the land. Mm. And sometimes we like to think that forgiveness takes away consequences. Mm. But the reality is, uh, though the forgiveness takes away the the penalty that we face between our, our relationship with God, Forgiveness doesn't always wipe out consequences. Right. And sometimes we continue to bear the scars uh, of the decisions we make when we disobey. And I think it's important to remember that. Um, just because God forgives us doesn't mean that he takes away the impact of what we've done. That's great. That's good. And then what about the the, the second one there? God 
never forsakes his people even when his people forsake him. How, how do we see that? Yeah, and that, um, to me, uh, at the end of Numbers, and then this also kind of moves over into Deuteronomy, but when he, they're getting ready to go into to the promised land and they're ready to move forward, he reminds them that this is a result of the promise that he made all the way back to Abraham. And so he says, I'm doing this for the sake of the promise that I made to your fathers, to your ancestors. And so uh, the history of Israel, and, and even after they go into the promised land, is a continued history of, of ups and downs and, and faithfulness and faithlessness and uh, very much models, I think, to my own life and the life of most people. Right. Yeah. Mine too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We, we kind of wrestle with that. But what you see in the midst of that is that God is always staying faithful. He keeps his word. He keeps his promises. And even when these people turn their back completely on him, God did not forsake them. Right. He said, for the sake of the promises I made, I'm going to keep mm-hmm. my word. And he brings them where he says he's going to bring them. Yeah. You, um, I like this last night. I wrote this down. You uh, said that God's past faithfulness is the basis of, of our faithfulness. And uh, use that in Numbers and Deuteronomy. I, I like that to, to yeah. that end. Um, so, so Numbers ends with uh, with kind of this this final uh, preparation to, to enter the Promised Land, and uh, and then we pick up in in Deuteronomy. So, uh, j- just like Numbers, give us a, a kind of a brief summary of Deuteronomy, maybe a little structural overview of it. Okay. Uh, how, how do we better understand Deuteronomy? Yeah, I think the best way to to understand Deuteronomy is to think of it as these are Moses' last words to his people. Um, And it really is the last recorded uh, written words of Moses that we have. They are in the plains of Moab, which are just across the Jordan River from from where they entered into, uh, into the Promised Land, into Canaan. And so on these plains of Moab, uh, Moses takes some time to to say if I'm if I'm going to say the very last things I can say to you what is it that I want to say to you, and so Deuteronomy is clearly if you read through you can clearly see it's divided into four speeches or four sermons, and so the the idea is that these are four things that, where Moses spoke to the people and said here are four things that I want to really deliver to you uh, to call your attention to. And then uh, in the first one, he spends a lot of time just looking back and, and kind of going over history. Uh, what have you done? What has God mm-hmm. done? And, and what, what do I want you to remember out of that? So I call that looking back. Uh, in the second speech, he, um, he kind of walks through some laws and rules and regulations, but they really are uh, driven a whole lot by an upward focus. Because of who God is, then what kind of people should we be? And, and, right. um, and he walks, his, walks him through that. And so I call that looking up. And then the last two speeches, he just says, okay, when you get in the land, here are some things that I want to, to remind you to do or ways to, to live. And so uh, those two speeches, I call that looking forward. That's good. You, well, one of the things that I thought was interesting of in, in kind of framing up Deuteronomy is th- this, this idea or phrase of of be careful, uh, you mentioned was repeated a lot in Deuteronomy. You'd be careful to uh, heed what was said, uh, whatever. But but what, what's the if for us as the reader uh, of uh, what's the significance of that phrase showing up? What, what what should that do for us? That that phrase of be careful. 
When Moses uses that phrase, he actually uses it in, in a couple of different contexts. One time he uses it, or several times he uses it in, be careful to remember. And again, so that first speech where he's looking back, he says, don't, don't forget the past. Don't forget mm-hmm. what has happened. Um, but he also talks about being careful, being, being careful to pay attention to what's going on around you. Uh, be careful to not only what you're doing, but be careful about um, the people around you. He said, you're going into a land where you're going to be surrounded by people who are not followers mm-hmm. of Jehovah, uh, of Yahweh. And uh, so be careful about the influence they can have on you. Be careful of what's going on around you. And so it's the idea of living a life, of paying attention, um, not just kind of going through and things happening and not not noticing. An intentionality. Really, it's yeah. a very much an intentional way of living. That's good. What um, is there, uh, I know you mentioned Numbers 14 was, was kind of an important chapter. Is there a chapter uh, or maybe one or two in, in Deuteronomy that you think, yeah, this is, this is a key chapter in the book or, or maybe two key chapters in the book in, in Deuteronomy? Um, more so than chapters, probably a couple of passages. And uh, first of all, there is a restatement of the Ten Commandments. Um, and one of the principles of Bible study is anytime God says something twice, you probably ought right. to pay attention. <laughs> and so when he restates the Ten Commandments, um, there's a it, it's almost... Um, exactly like what we find when he gives it the first time in Exodus. He adds a couple of differences, for example, on the Sabbath. When he tells them, remember the Sabbath, he says, um, remember the Sabbath and remember that you were slaves who've been redeemed. Mm. So there was something about that Sabbath day that that he wanted them to do some reflection about, yeah. about the work of God for them on their behalf. But then the other one, and I think this is probably one of the most significant passages, is in uh, Deuteronomy 6 where we come into uh, what the Jews refer to as the Shema. Uh, it's kind of a, a faith uh, identity statement where it begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Um, and so you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the reason I say that that's significant is because when we come to the New Testament, <clears throat> there's a story in Jesus' life where someone comes and asks him, okay, so what's the most important law of all? Uh, we have all these laws, and, and by the way, by, by the time Jesus came along, they had like 600 and something laws just related to the Ten Commandments. They, they add, did they add to, right? Some of that? They, yeah, they just kind of expanded, you know, the 600 applications of the Ten Commandments. Right. <laughs> and, uh, so, so those are the different kind of, and so out of all of those laws, they were saying, well, so which one's the most important? And Jesus immediately responds with the Shema. Mm. He goes to, to Deuteronomy 6, and he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. Love him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Love him with all that you are. And then quickly says, oh, and by the way, the second one is, is right next to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, in all of this sums up the mm. law. And so what he's saying is all of the Ten Commandments and all the things that went along with the Ten Commandments could be summed up in just that one statement that if we love God with all that we are and love our neighbors with all that we can, we'll be keeping the law. That's good. So, Doug, we've uh, we talked uh, in some of the past podcasts uh, about uh, this this idea of typology or symbolism, and and uh, you, you mentioned uh, in your talk, which which I thought was neat, 
this this kind of neat symbolism in Moses's death toward the end of the book, and and so wanted wanted you unpack that a, a little bit more for us as far as the the symbolism of that, the significance of of Moses not being able to enter the, the promised land. Yeah, the uh, the typology of the promised land of Moses uh, is is really really powerful. Uh, Moses is known as the lawgiver. In fact. Um, Often the Old Testament law is referred to as the law of Moses. And, and when you get into the New Testament, into the Gospels, uh, they refer to the law as the law of Moses. And, um, and the promised land, uh, for, for many Christians, promised land has, has been the type of heaven. And there's some things about heaven that it symbolizes, but the promised land really doesn't symbolize heaven. The promised land really is a better type of uh, the, the life of faith, the life of walking with Christ, the victorious Christian life, what do you, however you want to phrase that. And so the idea that Moses could not get into the promised land, I think the, uh, the lesson there, and we find this again in, in the New Testament where the law can't get us, uh, keeping the law can't get us into the Christian life. Mm. Uh, it, the law is not there to make us righteous. It's not there to get us into the promised land. Uh, it takes it takes grace to get us into the Christian life, and so Moses, being the representation of the law, he couldn't go into the Promised Land. And I don't think it's accidental that the the leadership handoff was to a guy whose name was Joshua. Which, if we if we lived in Jesus's day, if we were Hebrews, we would have called Jesus Joshua because right. that was his name. And so it, Moses couldn't lead him in the Promised Land, but Joshua could. Yeah. And the law doesn't get us into uh, that life of faith with Christ. It is Jesus and the work of Jesus that makes us righteous. And so the, the, the typology and the symbolism there, I think, is just so powerful uh, that that's why Moses wasn't allowed, couldn't go into the promise. That's good. That's good. Um, so just just like in, in Numbers and uh, Deuteronomy, you gave us some, some good lessons to, to glean from. Uh, you, you mentioned that, that God desires our complete love. Uh, that God demands our complete obedience. And, uh, and you said lastly that God declares his complete faithfulness. So uh, flesh those out a little bit more for us, uh, uh, each of those. How, how do we see those in, in the book of Deuteronomy? Um, God desires our complete love. And I go back to, again, the Shema on that in Deuteronomy 6, where he says, uh, you should love God with all that you are. And uh, the idea... Sometimes we, we think and we look at uh, the law of the Old Testament and that the relationship between a Jew and God was just a very rigid, um, do this, don't do this. And that's never the relationship that God right. was calling for. He, he wanted their heart. He wanted them to love him and wanted to love them back. And so... Even though, yes, there were lots of rules and, and regulations on how to live, uh, the, the passage in Deuteronomy just says, what I really want is all of you. Uh, all of your passion, all of your love, all of your affection, that's what I want. I want to be a God that you love, and that I want you to know that I love you. And so uh, he desires our complete love. But God demands our complete obedience. Um, I think the better way that I would, uh, for myself, to remind myself is that incomplete obedience is the same thing as disobedience. Yeah. And and I think we need to be reminded that uh, what God asks us to do, what He expects us to do, is whatever He says. 
Uh, and so he holds that standard in, in Deuteronomy. Um, in fact, he, he tells them, when you get into the land, I want you to do this ceremony where uh, you stand, uh, half, the, half the, the, the people stand on one side and half the people on the other, and you speak to each other about the blessings of obedience and the curses of disobedience. Because God wants us to know that he, he demands our complete obedience. But then finally, God declares his complete faithfulness. And that is, again, uh, just like through, through, through the end of Numbers and, and through all through Deuteronomy, uh, Moses reminds the people that God's faithfulness is always there. Mm. We often think that faith is jumping out into the, into the dark, taking a blind leap. And God has never called us to trust him without proving himself trustworthy first. Mm. And so we, God declares his complete faithfulness so that we can have faith in him. It's been um, in just that theme of, of God being faithful. I and mean, we've seen that uh, obviously last night, but from, from Genesis on and, and what, uh, what, what a cool testimony to, to the goodness and faithfulness of God in that. So, well, Doug, uh, thanks for, for taking time to, to sit down with us today. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll definitely have to bug you again in the spring semester. Oh, it's my pleasure. Enjoy it. Yeah. Thanks, Doug. You've been listening to the Light Bears Institute podcast, a production of Light Bears Ministries. For more information, visit lightbears.com. Mm-hmm.